Welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's Book. Welcome back, I am Chris Pullman, and you have reached Chris Reed's book. This is the podcast where I read to you, my audience, chapters out of my novels. This week, as we've been doing for uh, the last several episodes, I'll be reading to you out of my second science fiction novel, Martian Reporter, Humanity's New Hope, specifically uh, the chapter Visiting Alan H., so, uh, let's get right into it. Jim wasn't sure what it was about that Tuesday that compelled him so, but something drew him to Alan H., the place he had first met, Eric Pullman. True, he had been there since then, following what he referred to as the day of transference. That is, the day when Eric passed to Jim his precious cargo of memories, each of which still thought of itself as a person, still acted like a person, and, for all intents and purposes, still was a person. It was only some twelve blocks between Jim's house and the bar. As he approached it, his mind made quick and subtle comparisons between the existing state of the structure and that he had seen in the photos in his house. The most striking difference was how the place seemed to sit level with the ground now, rather than three feet above it. Along with this was the lack of the con-steel roof protruding from the ground. Where it had once been was now the secondary parking lot for the bar. If whatever that roof represented still existed, it was at least three feet below grade. The closer James drew to the bar, the greater the sense of something to be revealed became. His sense of anticipation grew. As he entered, he spotted Hank chatting with a few of the regulars at the far end of the bar. Sitting down in the same seat Eric had always taken, he waved Hank toward him. Hank nodded a few more times at the regulars, excused himself, and headed Jim's way, while taking a drag on his ever-present stogie. "'Good to see you,' he rumbled as he approached, sticking out his hand. Clasping it, Jim instinctively interlaced his bottom three fingers with Hank's. Hank started ever so slightly. You too, brother, Jim replied instinctively. Hank's eyes shifted over Jim's face while holding the clasp a few more seconds. What do you all have? he asked, finally releasing his grip. Jameson and classic Coke, Jim replied. His previous visit, he had acted as any other bar patron, save that he had brought over a final draft of his article on L&H. This time, he realized, he acted as a very specific regular. And something to eat, Hank added while preparing the drink. My usual, Jim said before he could think about it. Steak sandwich plate. Hank grunted, setting the drink down before him, then heading him back to the kitchen. One or two of the other patrons looked Jim's way quizzically. When Hank returned, he pulled up his stool so that he sat inside the bar across from Jim, leaning back on the beer coolers. He took a long draw of the cigar 
let it mull a moment, and then slowly exhaled before saying, How'd your interviews go? Jim hadn't really mentioned them his last visit, rather overwhelmed as he was at the time. Leaning forward, Jim said, My and Eric's sessions went fine. Hank sat up a bit then. That's good to hear, he replied. He tell you anything else? Only, Jim said, that you keep your stored keg beer cold the old-fashioned way in an underground basement, something I've never seen before. Would be mighty obliged if you'd be willing to show me, even be willing to help you bring one up if needed, say, if your Liney's classic were running low, for instance. Hank's gaze passed slowly from Jim to his beer taps. There were several, including Bud Classic, Miller Classic, MGD, Blue Moon, Spotted Cow, Cheesehead, and Harvest Wheat, but not aligning kugels except on the wall as ornamentation. Its placement spoke of a trinket brought back from Earth by one of the bar's traveling patrons. Don't have that on tap, he replied, looking back at Jim. Without breaking eye contact, Jim replied, My mistake. Offer still stands, though. Hank merely grunted, standing as he did so and returning to the kitchen. It had all been a play. Somehow, Jim knew that. The stool he had chosen, the handshake, the conversation, they'd all been code. What the code meant exactly, Jim did not yet know. It took Hank a moment or two longer to return than it should have. When he did, he carried an extra napkin. Laura was rather liberal with the butter on the grill today, he said, setting the basket before Jim. Thought you might need this, he said, patting the napkin. Thank you, Jim replied with a smile. Hank went back down to the group of regulars at the other end of the bar as Jim began eating. Without anyone in the dining room or behind him, Jim was all but isolated and alone. Reaching to his right, Jim grabbed the salt, bringing it back in such a way that he unfolded the napkin. There, just visible and fading, was a message. We who have seen the arrow know it is right. Come back, just prior to closing. 1 a.m. We will talk then. The message faded entirely. Passing his fingers over its surface, Jim sensed the chemicals there, as well as residual heat. Thermally activated, it was meant to be a hidden message. Having some instinct as to Hank's meaning, Jim picked up the sandwich. The steak patty, thin but long, hung out two sides of the bun like wings. Tilting the sandwich as he brought it up, melted butter ran off onto Jim's hand. After taking a bite, Jim put the sandwich back down and lifted the napkin, now void of its message. Holding it aloft in one hand while licking the other, he called down the bar to Hank. You were right. Should have listened to you, Hank. Hank merely gave his head a slight nod. Finishing his meal and drink, and making sure to thoroughly use the message napkin, Jim left. With nothing overly important to do before later that evening, he decided to simply stroll about the city and, as D'Andre had coined the action, ladle. In its simplest form, ladling was dipping into the thoughts of people in the area and withdrawing from them what was useful. In Jim's case, not having a particular need for doing so, he went about merely 
testing the limits of what Dandre had taught him. The sheer volume of information that flowed into his mind was astounding. He caught things as simple as children's imaginative realities to personal details of people's lives. Walking by houses, so long as he could see or hear within, he could draw up to his mind what was happening. Different from reading minds, ladling was more akin to being thrust into the middle of a hollow bed. Jim would suddenly find himself knowing the situation as if dreaming. The action took place around him and felt as though some hand guided it, and yet, when he would withdraw from such an involved perspective, only those most pertinent pieces of what he experienced remained. As in a hollow vid, one may not remember the color of the heroine's dress in the first scene, but one does remember what happened. Just as quickly, Jim encountered something Dandre had warned him about in one of their last training sessions. He had walked the streets for hours, apparently, suddenly realizing that it was well into night. Checking his chrono only confirmed how much he had let himself delve into the ladling. Oh, oh, 30. Quickly assessing where he was in the city, well over half of it away from L&H on the residential side, he knew he could make it back in time. As Jim walked, his mind quivered. At the same time, his arm once again tingled. Presence known to us, came the unbidden thought. Despite knowing all the minds within his own at a basic level, Jim could not identify the source. Odd, that. The mind and arm tingling vanished slowly as he kept walking, quicker than as if whatever had caused it now sped to him along his way. As he let his subconscious mull over the feeling, his body found its way to Alan H. There, just as he was beginning to mount the steps, Hank opened the door and ushered out his last two patrons of the evening. Make sure your car takes you straight home, he said as the two stumbled down the steps. Will do, Hank, one said, half turning back to the barkeep and nearly causing his companion to fall. Damn it, Jeff, the woman muttered as the man started groping her. Car first, she slurred as she maneuvered them both into the vehicle. Hank looked down at Jim from his perch atop the steps. So you made it back, he said while removing the ever-present cigar from his mouth reaching over his left shoulder with his right hand as if to draw an arrow from a quiver. That I did, Jim replied as he gave the countersign. Then let's talk, Hank said, gesturing inside. His demeanor was somehow different than earlier in the day. His speech was clearer, his body seeming tauter. As Jim stepped up and into the bar, Hank pulled the door closed and locked it. He circled around the bar and pulled up an ashtray, setting down his cigar. The man looked half-complete without it. "'Excuse me for this,' he said in the same, clearer voice. He made a few noises, as though seeking to clear his throat. Lifting a glass, he let out one final <laughs> and spat a tar-looking black glob the size of an egg into the glass. Looking up at Jim, Hank had a quizzical look on his face. "'That didn't faze you.' Jim shook his head. I've seen a lot stranger in the past couple of weeks. Hank harumphed. What is that, though? Days worth of smoking, he shrugged. Pardon? 
It's all the toxins, carcinogens, and additives from a day's worth of smoking, Hank replied. He swirled the glass with a smile, then set it down behind the bar. You mean you're able to actively reject all that? Yep. Always been able to somehow. Just put it to the legacy of my father. Him being one of yours. Jim was temporarily confused. Hank knew what Jim was. Eric had alluded to your connection with the heroers. More than that, Hank replied, leaning back against the beer cooler. What do you know of this place? Enough to make me want to know more, Jim replied. I know that ground level is up significantly from when this place was built. I've seen pictures, and I know that underneath the parking lot is a con-steel structure of some sort. And that interests you above all else, Hank said, crossing his arms over his chest. I know what you are, if merely in part. Only Eric ever felt the way you do. But there's also something different about you. As if at once something is both missing and something else present. Hank looked at Jim for a few seconds before asking, so why are you here? I want to see what's hidden, Jim replied. I know it's important. Indeed. It was set aside for the crucible, for when the struggle was resumed. Never thought anyone other than Eric would use it, though. What exactly happened to him? Jim knew that this question had been coming. The best answer I can give is is that he left. He gave me the gift, Jim said, using the correct aphorism for nanites. Heroes today still didn't know what the gift of the TDF and Chaos's forces was, only that it was powerful and secret. Then he gave me all of himself except for one part. Chaos. Yes, and I fear that he now walks amongst us again. Even though I have all Eric was in here, he was gone after I woke from the transfer, and if Chaos is back, then events once more move by his machinations. Hank stared at Jim for a moment, then replied, I sense the truth of what you say. Taking another moment to think, he added, Come around the bar and follow me. My father never told me exactly the purpose of what we have down there only that it is required for the greater good. And I never took the opportunity to look for myself. As James followed, Hank led him back through the bar's kitchen into what seemed a break room. Off of this area were stairs. Descending them, they came into an alcohol cellar, full of kegs, piles of bottles, and racks of wine. Toward the back was a set of shelves. Jim at once recognized them. They had the same layout, and were of the same rough material as those in Eric's basement. As they approached, Jim softly touched Hank's shoulder. Wait, he said. Stepping past, he grasped one of the supports as he remembered Eric doing. Right where he expected, there was a small depression that to anyone else would have appeared as a knot in the wood. He squeezed, turning his finger on the knot. A chorus of clicks and whirs sounded from behind the shelf. 
Very few over the years were ever taught how to open such a door, Hank said. And to my knowledge, my eldest is the last. Jim turned and smiled at Hank. We appreciate your caution, he said. Hank still looked pensive at Jim's having opened the door. Trying to calm him, Jim said, You can believe us, Hank Azarius Thomas, that we are the one for whom this place was meant. His voice had changed to the chorus voice, a multitude speaking as one. It was the same voice he had heard Eric use. My father told me about that voice, Hank said reverently. Told me that if I was ever its target, to pay heed who, to whom spoke it. I'm sorry I doubted. No worries, Jim replied, his voice again his own. As I said, your caution is appreciated. I likewise don't know exactly what the purpose is of what's down there. Your family's stewardship is about to pay tremendous dividends, though. Shall we? Jim asked, half turning his body and gesturing toward the now open door. Hank nodded, beginning to follow Jim down the narrow passage. Your eyes, his voice echoed as they descended. They were whirlpools of color. Alright, that is the chapter for today. Uh, again, I apologize. My, what I'll call last season's recordings of my first book, I tried to read more than just one chapter in a day. However, uh, this season, this book, I'm trying to record on my lunch breaks, so I'm not able to quite get uh, the volume of reading in per episode, so the episodes are a little bit shorter. This is decent length, though, probably come out close to 20 minutes, uh, but that was the chapter Visiting LNH out of the book Martian Reporter, Humanity's New Hope. If you enjoyed this and you want to check out the other chapters of my books in audio form, head over to narclaninc.com, that's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C.com, go to the podcast section of the site, the Chris Reads Book page, and there on the page will be all the MP3s of all of the episodes that I've recorded so far. You can download those or stream them right from the website. You can also find me on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. Just search for Chris Reed's book. Uh, and I think I should be on Stitcher now as well. If not, I'll get there soon. But I'm definitely out there on the podcast stream. So find me out there. Also, over on the website, you can uh, click on links there to take you over to my author Facebook page, my author Twitter account, and you can also uh, click there for an email address to email me at. Feel free to do that. I would love to hear from anyone listening to this podcast to know that you're out there, know that you're listening. And if you really enjoy what you're hearing from me and you want to help support me, the way that you can do that is by sharing this with a friend or a family member, somebody you know who you think would enjoy listening to this story. Because right now I'm just trying to get my name out there to to build a reader base, and that's how you can help me the most. So, with that, until next time, have a good week or a good day or a good few seconds in between episodes, depending on how you download these, and I will talk to you in the next episode. Thank you.